0: Hello, and thanks for tuning in to the Peckville Assembly of God podcast. We're so glad you're here. Now, welcome Pastor Terry Drost with today's message. Habakkuk chapter one, Habakkuk chapter one, minor prophet Habakkuk, finishing up a series called I Declare War. I Declare War. And the last couple of weeks, we talked about declaring war on our thoughts, the battle within, four keys to winning the battle within, and I submitted to you that. You know, we have thoughts that come to us and we can't do anything about the thoughts that come to us. But how many of you know we have a choice cognitively to how long we hold on to the thought? Make sense? Thoughts. And then the second key uh, was, you know, declaring word of our thoughts that are not of God. And then the words that we speak. I mean, remember that words are powerful, right? They either build up or tear down. Words impact others. They impact ourselves. They actually impact our future greatly. What we speak. How many know you can have what you say? Yeah. And so, uh, so thoughts, words, and then last week, uh, part three, we talked about actions, and that you can have all the nice thoughts and all the nice words, but if you don't act it, how many know uh, that uh, actions speak much, much louder than words? Okay. So in other words, you've got to live this thing out. Otherwise, it's hypocrisy. Okay. So today I want to talk about. i want to wrap this up by talking about fighting the good fight of faith. How many of you ever had to get in a fight before? Anybody? Yeah. And there's areas in our life when we're going to have to fight. We're going to have to fight at times for our health. You believe that? Uh, let me give you a biblical example quick before we go to Habakkuk. So Joshua was promised the Promised Land. He would inherit that, right? But how many know the book of Joshua is a book of bloodshed and war? It's a theater of war, if you will. Uh, Battles. A lot of bloodshed. A lot of fierce battles. He had to fight for the blessing. He had to, watch this, contend for the blessing. So I want to say to some people here today, I believe those that would have an ear with the Spirit would say to you that you have to fight for the things that God has for you. Amen? And so I want to open this story up by uh, sharing, actually, a story before we get into the, the text, my main text. And uh, Larry and uh, Chrissy, his wife, were up in uh, northern Dakota in a, in, a, in a private lake. A large lake was private. There's no one else around. And he was very familiar with ice. And it was late winter, almost early spring uh, a few years ago. And they unloaded their four-wheel or their quad, and they were going to go across the lake. It uh, wasn't the first time. Um, they enjoyed four-wheeling. And there were cars, there were vehicles that went out ahead of them. Uh, before that, he saw the tracks, So he figured, you know, being a lighter vehicle, they'd be okay. And so as they, you know, got on it, uh, you know, Larry, his wife Chrissy, going across the lake on a quad uh, out there, in the, in the, you know, in the middle of the sticks. And all of a sudden, he felt the jolt of the four-wheeler. And in his own words, he said, we plunged down through the ice and did stop, drop, and roll into the water. Now, the quad dropped like a stone and went right to the bottom of the lake floor. But Chrissy and Larry were now fighting for their life. And uh, they realized almost immediately that hypothermia set in. They, there was no one there as they called for help. Uh, you know, your body gets filled, uh, your clothing gets filled with water, your boots, and all that stuff. And uh, he got to a point where they literally realized they were gonna die. And so he went over to her and he told her he loved her, his wife kissed her. And you see, the problem was every time I tried to get up on the ledge of ice, it was too high to get any kind of traction and leverage. And he kept slipping off like that. And I said all that to say to you, have you ever felt in your own life that you were literally drowning? in a dark, icy hole. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever fought in your sleep and had thoughts uh, come to you in the middle of the night? So they're called night terrors. Uh, I know people that uh, have problems at sleeping where they'll literally wake up in a, out of a dead sleep in, in a complete pool of sweat and thoughts. Let me say it like this to the common person. How many of you believe the devil works night shift? There you are. Uh, 2 a.m., <laughs> I don't know what it is about today, 3 a.m., 4 a.m., sometimes you have to get up, and it's not just because, you know, you're headed to the bathroom. Uh, by the way, did you ever stub your toe headed to the bathroom? Thank God for nightlights, right? <laughs> I was kind of random, but you know, the, th- the thing is, we've got to fight, and many times strive, from going in a downward spiral, and we've been doing this series, and I've been Paralleling this uh, through the, the study of wolves, they're a fascinating creature. And how they pack together. Last week we talked about rolling with the right pack. You are who you associate with. And that you're literally the average of the five people that you spend the most time with. That's been verified a long time ago. So think about that financially, spiritually, you know, uh, taking care of your body, all those kind of things. Okay. So today I'm going to talk to you about fighting like a wolf. And uh, Habakkuk 1 in verse 6 describes an enemy coming against the nation of Israel. It actually says this, A bitter and hasty nation, they are terrible and dreadful, swifter than leopards, more fierce than evening wolves. More fierce than evening wolves. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the great prince of preachers, described these evening woofs as being uh, things that come against you in your sleep. The attack comes against you at nighttime. Uh, And what's called, uh, you know, trying to pull yourself out of the icy water, what's called cognitive horsepower. What does that mean? Cognitive horsepower means it's it's impossible for the engine to be running and you to go one direction and the other direction at the same time. I like to say that you can't, worry and worship at the same time. Have you found that to be true? Yeah. So, you know, tonight, today I want to tell you about taking control of these things that come against you and fighting the good fight of faith. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 10. I want to give you a different translation of this. This is uh, actually the New International Reader's Version. It's really blessed me this week. While you're turning there, you know, Teddy Roosevelt was, uh, was a great fighting president, and we started the series. We're talking about him. We're going to be fitting to end sharing a little bit about uh, President Roosevelt's life. Uh, did you know that one time, Teddy Roosevelt pirates actually stole his own personal boat? And he was so mad about it, he could have sent people, you know, because he's the president of the United States. He was the youngest president ever elected. Uh, he was part of the Rough Riders. He was part of them that, uh, you know, uh, conquered Cuba on horseback, crossed over the line, the OG line. Remember us talking about that, or maybe learned that in school. Teddy Roosevelt was quite a rough and rugged individual. And he was a fighter. And and one time, his own personal boat was stolen by pirates. And he was so mad about it, they said, sir, we'll go get it. He said, no, I'm getting it myself. And he got on horseback, and he tracked these guys down for eight solid days, and he snuck up on them while they were sleeping, and it was so cold. This is actually documented. It was so cold that our president at that time of of the great U.S. of A., said he couldn't handcuff them because the temperature would have caused their hands or their feet to fall off. So what he did? He made them take their boots off. And he sat there for days with his gun. How many know he, practiced, he believed in the Second Amendment, okay? <laughs> so, so he, was, he was a tough guy. I mean, he was an outright killer. Teddy Roosevelt was a fighter, and I want to say to you today, some of you need to learn how to fight too. You got to learn how to fight. You know, I heard an old saying one time, that said you can take the dog out of the fight, but you can't take the fight out of the dog. Amen. Amen? Fight the good fight of faith. The Apostle Paul, let's look at it, Corinthians 10, put it up on the screen if you got it to save time. Listen to the way he says it, personal pronoun. I do live in the world... But I don't fight my battles the way people of the world do. The weapons I fight with are not the weapons the world uses. In fact, it's just the opposite. My weapons have the power of God to destroy the camps of the enemy. Last verse. I destroy every claim and every reason that keeps people from knowing God. I keep every thought under control in order to make it obey Christ. It's called fight the good fight of faith. This same Apostle Paul at the end of his life when he wrote and in 2 Timothy, he said, I have fought a good fight. Amen? I have fought a good fight. What about you? I want to give you a couple principles today to help you fight the good fight of faith. If you're ready to take notes, here's the first one. You must fight for the high ground. Fight for the high ground, or you could also call that control the high ground. Whoever controls an elevated position controls the battle. How I many of those snipers always look for the highest point? Mm-hmm. I was in at a Dallas-Fort Worth area a couple years ago, and we went on a tour of the infamous book depository where Lee, uh, Harvey Oswald assassinated President Kennedy on November twenty-second, 1963. And they have a museum there. And the actual room where he was in the book depository was the highest point on that corner. You see, we have to fight for the high ground in our minds. Can you say amen? Gravity is on their side. The war, listen, there's a war that goes on in our mind. Again, the theater of war. Think about the battlefield of the mind. How many know life is not a playground, it's a battleground? And that's what wolves do. Wolves actually look for the highest vantage point because it's called the survival of the fittest. And if they get on a on a high point, think about it. When another attacking wolf comes, which actually the number one way that wolves die, watch this, is not wolf pups die uh, because their parents get killed in battle. Um, They also die. I read this uh, this week that uh, they get died when they get kicked in the head by buffalo, especially in the Midwest. Places like Colorado and Wyoming, those places. But here's the number one way they die. They die by being attacked by other wolves, evening wolves. Are you with me? So they get the high vantage point, uh, and then that way they have the strength and the position that they could fend off the enemy. I want to say to you today a couple things. I mean, let's just say these three numbers. Everybody say this with me. 888. 888. 888. 888. Okay, so here's what that means. Sometimes we over spiritualize things. Do you know anybody like this? Do you know anybody that's like they're overly saved? <laughs> you know anybody like this? I mean, I know some people underly saved, but how many know you could be overly saved too? Where everything is God or the devil. It's God or the devil, and I want to say, no, it's you. The man in the mirror, the woman in the mirror, okay? Work with me here. Think about this. Sometimes we're praying for a breakthrough. We're praying for a breakthrough. And I am just want to give you this 888. So what would happen if you slept eight hours a night, drank eight glasses of water a day? Again, practical, because God is very practical, as well as spiritual. Amen? The Bible, would you agree the Bible is a practical book? Yeah. Most people are dehydrated. They're borderline dehydrated in our country. Uh, they're, they're sleep deprived. They're not sleeping enough. Okay, so, so some of you are laughing. So what would happen if you actually slept eight hours a night, drank eight glasses of water a day, and spent eight minutes with Jesus in the morning? Just the first eight minutes. Now, I know some of you are like, oh, I spent way more. Okay, you're more spiritual than everybody, but the point is <laughs> you've got to start somewhere. Come on, work with me here. Amen? And I'm, I'm just amazed. I'm, I'm blown away by this, time When I talk to people, especially young people, they'll say, oh man, I don't know, I'm just so depressed. Right, Ed? You get them as students at the trucking school. I don't know, I'm just so down and so depressed. And you're like, well, what time did you go to bed last night? And they'll come to you and say, like to me as a pastor, they'll say, you know, you gotta pray for me. I need you to pray, 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 pray. And it's like, okay, let's just ask a, a couple of simple, like, you know, horse sense questions here. What time did you go to bed last night? Oh, I don't know, it was kind of late, Pastor. Oh, okay, what time? Um, I don't know, maybe three. <laughs> okay, now tell me about what you did when you got up. Well, I got up and the first thing I did, I went on my phone to check social media. I was checking Facebook, I was checking Instagram I was Snapchat, I you know, it was over here, you know, and so you know, you do all those things, and then then they end up playing Xbox for hours. You know, Cheetos all over their shirt. In a dark room. Come on, you know anybody like this? And I wonder why they feel so bad. Come on. You know, how about try drinking, uh, instead of drinking, you know, four cups of coffee and, you know, five Dr. Peppers and three LaCroix's, how about replace a couple of them with a glass of water? Amen? And so it's not a spiritual thing. It's a practical thing. It's high ground. There's a lot of things you can do, a couple little tweaks that will really help you greatly to feel more like Jesus. And be more uh, pleasant to be around. And I was talking to somebody the other day. And they literally said, it said, well, I've been lately. I've been binge watching The Walking Dead." How do you think about this? Can we just have a moment here, folks? Believe me, I'm a spiritual. I'm a pastor, obviously. Okay, but there's a lot of practical stuff here. So you watch somebody eat another person's face off, and then you went to sleep. Can we just talk about this for a minute? What are you thinking? What are you thinking? I don't know, I'm so depressed. What are you watching? Okay, and what are you listening to? <laughs> you know, a couple little tweaks. I mean, you could take a cell phone, your cell phone, and just let it charge in the other room. That little tweak makes a big difference in your sleep. Amen? Praise God. So fight for the high ground. <laughs> Here's another one real quick today. Not only fight for the high ground. Let me just say this too. Starve your fear. And feed your faith. Starve your fear and feed your faith. You know, some people are so addicted. They're like, I got to get my CNN fix. Big mistake. I mean, you know, you're watching that stuff. You're all revved up. You're in every time. I, some people, every time they know more about the president than he knows about himself. You ever meet anybody like that? They know more about Washington and politics and the Congress. You know what? Who cares? Look at the, what it's doing. It's making you—you're getting all revved up. You're, you're, I mean, now you're sitting around there drinking coffee, watching the television. Why don't you shut it off and go for a walk? Can you say amen? amen. I mean, it's just common sense, folks. You know, they're like driven by. Well, I got to have my MSN. You see, fixed. No, just. Take a diet from it. Like I was talking to somebody the other day, and I said, Man, I haven't seen you Why, where you've been. He goes, You know what? He said, I'm taking a diet from Snapchat and from Instagram. He goes, You know what I figured out? The more I was spending hours on that thing, and, and what I was actually doing was comparing my life to everybody else's. What in the world? Fight for the high ground. 888 water, sleep, time with Jesus. Amen. Here's the second one, fight fire by being on fire. Fight fire by being on fire. 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 3, Paul says, I do live in the world, but I don't fight my battles the way people of the world do. The weapons I fight with are not weapons the world uses. In fact, it is just the opposite. My weapons, here it is, have the power of God to destroy the camps of the enemies. Have you noticed these wildfires in California? I'm was like part of the state's on fire again, you know? You know what, now, you know what they do? Do you ever see? They'll actually light a fire to stop the fire. You ever see that? It's called fighting fire with fire. Here's the thing, folks, I want to say to you today. Wildfires, fires come, but the enemy cannot burn up someone who's already on fire. Can you say amen? That's why we'll sing those songs. Like, For the sake of the world, burn like a fire in me. Amen. John Wesley, the great preacher, used to say, Every night I set myself on fire and people come to watch me burn. How's your fire? Are you on fire for God? Amen? Or are you just well, I go to that church. Who cares? I want to know about your own walk with God. Well, I like the way their kids think is better. Who cares? You're going to stand before God one day and say, well, I like the kids program better over there, so that's why we went over there. Really? Oh, really? Okay, yeah. You're off the hook completely because they got a better choir or whatever whatever floats your boat today, whatever wind that it is, you know, the shift that goes on, like musical, you know, whatever. Don't get me started on that. I'm asking you personally, you, the man in the mirror, the woman in the mirror, are you on fire for God as much as you once were? Or have you lost your first love according to Revelation chapter 3? Jesus said, this one thing I have against you, you've lost your first love. Church at Laodicea, right? So are we on fire? The way that the enemy can't attack someone who's on fire. You fight fire with fire. Amen? Amen. Fight fire with fire. Look at all these celebrities. Kanye West. Can you say praise God somebody? My God, I turned the TV on the other night. Justin Bieber was leading worship. What is going on? It's called a revival starting in Hollywood. Can you say praise God? Listen, I, don't, I know there's bad out there. I know there's all kinds of drama and there's political outrage, all kinds of stuff. But I just choose not to focus on that stuff. I would rather look at the things God is actually trying to do here and He is doing and say, you know what, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And obviously, other people are starting to pop up all over the place. Did you see the, the praise that broke out in a big aircraft with Kanye? I mean, it just like blew my mind. If you knew what the guy, the guy was vile before That's what being on fire will do. Coming to Jesus, people coming home, there's a revival taking place. Don't try to compare it to the revival that happened five years ago because God never does the same thing twice. He moves differently. It's not gonna fit into your box. The minute you try to put God in a box, he's not in a box, you are. You've gotta be open to say, Holy Spirit, where are you at what are you doing because i want to be part of the fire that is burning today if you believe that clap your hands and give god a mighty shout of praise oh hallelujah hallelujah my weapons have the power of god so you need to ask him holy spirit fill me up send your fire fill me like a hand fills a glove with his fire from above. Amen? The devil can't burn what's already burning. Now why is that a solution? Well, because each day I live in the power of the Holy Spirit. Not my own strength. You can't battle demonic powers in the flesh. Okay? Here's the third one. Raise your voice. Raise your voice. I said raise your voice. Praise God. Be like a wolf. Lift up your head and howl. howl. howl, howl, howl. <laughs> Folks, you know what the devil wants to steal besides your joy? Your voice. Now, I know you may have grew up like I did say, don't raise, don't raise your voice. I'm telling you, raise your voice. First thing people do when they start getting all depressed and having a you know, bad time and a bad day and a bad month and a bad year and a bad life is they lose their voice. They get all quiet, Pastor Guy, and they shut down and they get in some dark room somewhere. and They turn off all the lights and they start getting all inwardly depressed and the night terrors come. I'm telling you, worship. 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 And, I, and, you guys, and I just, can I just commend you guys? When I come in this church... I'm not comparing, I'm just saying, I don't know any, any church like this one. This is like a revival church. Do you know I've been told that by guys like Brother Ted who travels the world extensively with some of the generals of the faith? I come in and, and here's Mark Harris jumping up and down saying, this is how I fight my battles. <laughs> Amen? See it? We're fighting in the spirit. We're fighting. Amen, Mark? Amen. I don't have to, I don't have to say, oh God, I wish, you know, you know, I've been in I've been in a lot of preachers' meetings. Trust me, I've grown up around pastors, missionaries, you name it, prophets, all the five-fold ministry. A lot of times they'll get in and they'll say, Man, the churches are dead. The churches are dead. We can't get the people to get up on their feet, or somebody's sitting there like sour grapes. Well, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I don't like what they're doing right now with this decision. I'm man, 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 man. Yeah, that's called the devil. And he's taking your voice, and he's actually using your voice to complain and to try to distract people from the work of God. What you should do is lift your hands like David did. Think about the battle. I was thinking about this last night, Susie. The battle that was going on with Moses and the Amalekites and the Israelites. They were in the big battle. What happened? He started getting tired. Aaron and her just lift up his hands. And the Bible said when they lift up his hands, the, the enemy was driven back. See how that works? The Amalekites started losing. Why? Because he lifted up his hands. What about you? See, I don't come in here and say to everybody, let's all lift our hands because it's some kind of assembly of God thing. I do it because it's a Bible thing. Well, I wasn't raised like that. Who cares? Really? What is that? What is that, the God now? Where you were, well, you know, the church I came from, we were a little more conservative. That's okay. It's amazing to me, sometimes people say that, and I see them at a football game, and they're like, they've got paint, white here, blue here, we are Penn State, we are, and it's just going crazy, confetti flying, yelling, screaming, can't even talk the next day, and they come into church, I wasn't raised that way, (laughs) I'm Baptist, I'm Catholic, I'm Catholic, we're different, we don't do that, we're Catholic, oh yeah, look at you. Will you just look at yourself, please? I mean, really. You ever, I mean, you ever talk to me? It's like, just look at what you're doing. You're sitting there in that recliner with your feet up. You got the TV blaring. You haven't changed your undershirt in three days. You got an opinion that's so loud that nobody wants to hear it anymore. Your poor wife and kids, you know, they can't even stand to come home because you're going to complain, be like a wet blanket. Let me tell you something. Your voice is used for praising. Your voice is used for worship. Worship is what wins the fight. Every time. Every time. I'm telling you, and the more I get hit, the louder I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to engage in worship. I mean engage. You think I'm, I'm making this up, folks? I'm not bragging. I'm just saying you have this power available to you. That's what Paul said. I don't fight like everybody else fights. In fact, it's the exact opposite. My weapons come from the power of God. The power of God is available to you. I don't want to be like everybody else. Amen? The power of God. That's how we fight the good fight of faith. Praise God. (laughs) Number four. I love this one. Keep showing up. Keep showing up. Every day. Keep showing up. Amen? I think it was Woody Allen that said, success, 90% of it is just getting getting to work every day. Now, some of you ever find the hardest part is just to get there? Why do you think hell fights you so hard to come to church? You ever wonder why that is? You get up, and it's like everything, all hell breaks loose. Why do you think that is? Right? How many of you, you hear what I'm saying? You're not, it doesn't make sense. Well, you know what? I don't think we better go today. Yeah, and then the problems come back like a retool train in your life. You need to be engaged in worship, amen? Corporate worship. Well, I could just have church anywhere. No, that's not in the Bible. Well, I could just get together with my friends. We'll just meet over here in a house and open up the Bible. You know, we come in our sweatpants, a hair pulled back. I don't even have to put on makeup. I just show up, and God just shows up, and he's just there, and and that's a church. Oh, yeah, how long have you been meeting like that? Nine years. Oh, okay. It's not biblical. It's not. You want to know what a church looks like? Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. It's lined right out in black and white. If you're here on Wednesday nights, we're going through chapter and verse of the Bible. We're on our third book this year. It says this, they met in temple courts. Temple courts, you can't have courts of a temple without a temple. Hello. And house to house. House to house, small group fellowship, large group worship, a church. Now, I don't believe that church is everywhere. You know, folks, read your Bible. Read the New Testament. The book I'm preaching out of right now, Corinthians, is about, was a letter written to the church at Corinth, an actual physical location on the map. Amen. How about the church at all the books, really? All the Pauline epistles. Ephesus, Ephesians, we went through Ephesians, spent three and a half months going through Ephesians this year. It was awesome. Um, you know, Thessalonica, Thessalonians. Whoop. Uh, so keep showing up. Tim Leatherman and his wife were vacationing in Europe in the 70s and their car kept breaking down. That's a terrible problem to have. Can you imagine being on vacation and you have car trouble? They're in Europe, of all places. Guess what kind of car he was driving? A Fiat 600. <laughs> and, uh, and so he had to literally use, this is a true story, in the 70s, a screwdriver and a pair of pliers to keep it going. Every time it broke down, he had to get the hood up, and I don't know how, I don't know what, he didn't say in the book what he was doing, but like a pair of pliers here and a screwdriver over there, and he said, God, I wish somebody would invent screwdrivers A screwdriver and a plier all rolled into one, and he said, I'm going to be that guy that will invent that. True story. Tim Leatherman. Winston Churchill said it like this. Here's a quote. Success success consists of going from failure to failure without a loss of enthusiasm. Tim Leatherman spent eight years in his brother-in-law's garage working and developing on an invention where pliers and a screwdriver could come together. By his second year, on his own birthday, he had a meltdown. He had a night terror. He had a moment where he just started to weep because it wouldn't come together, and nobody wanted his idea. But he continued to press on and persevere. He got back up, dusted himself out, stayed in the fight. He, he finally, five years in, got a U.S. patent on this tool called the Leatherman. Anybody know what a Leatherman is? I have one here today. Praise God. And uh, he invented this. Even after it was patent, he kept sending these to companies all across the U.S. and nobody wanted it. He was so discouraged. And Stanley, you know who Stanley is—the company, you know, your grandfather's uh, thermos was for fishing. You know, you know Stanley. I want to quote them now. They said, "We are not interested in the Leatherman. In fact, you should not try to sell these. No one will want them." until a small company, are you ready, from Pennsylvania called Cabela's, (laughs) said, we like this idea, it's kinda cool, we'll take 500 of them. 500 for an exchange of a hefty $12,000, this is in like late 70s now. And today Leatherman, it was based out of uh, Portland, Oregon, is a billion dollar company with thousands of employees and they've had over 30 of these models. I want to close with this story in just a moment, but I want to say to you that the fight is not just, you know, I tried to work out the marriage, but it didn't work out. No, you've got to fight every day for your family, sir. I'm amazed how easy people give up. You know how hard it was to build this church, folks? Do you think this just fell out of the sky? My God, every devil in hell reared their ugly head from the moment we said we were going to build try to discourage us, Stephen Bonney's, try to push us back, try to knock us off the rails. I had people tell me in my face, you'll never build that. Are you kidding me? What, what plan are you, do you realize this is Lackawanna County? Do you realize there's no money here? Do you realize all that? But you keep being consistent, you keep fighting. Sometimes you got to fight Day after day after day. And I'm not just talking about it didn't work out. Well, I give up. I'm going to file for it. Well, I didn't give up, so I'm going to leave the church. I couldn't plant the church, so I give up. No. A fight, sometimes you get your nose busted. Sometimes you got to spit your tooth out in the bloody sink and wipe yourself off and get back in the fight. Can you say amen? Paul knew. He said, I've been shipwrecked in danger of countrymen, and on and on and on. I've been stoned. I've been shipwrecked. All this stuff. But he said, I fight the good fight of faith. The end of my life, I've fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. I've finished the race. Amen? And I have no regrets. No regrets. I'd rather go down swinging. Remember Roberto Duran? Remember him? He was a boxer. Was he a Cuban or something? He was like, oh, the guy was nasty. He was like like the generation before uh, Mike Tyson. He was boxing Sugar Ray Leonard. Brother Jerry talked about this the other night when he was here. I don't know if you heard that story, but... Sugar Ray Leonard, remember him? He was real sweet. He had a nice looking face, and he just like to dance around as a welterweight. And Roberto Durant, he was like a killer. He just come out and was like, wow, wha- bam. He just knocked people right out. I mean, he's just like a killer, right? Roberto Duran fought Sugar Ray Leonard in 1980. You can look this up in uh, Nevada. And uh, he couldn't hit Sugar Ray. Sugar Ray kept. <laughs> I feel like I'm leading worship today, right now. Feeling. Like... They're like, I'm leading worship. This is how I fight my battles. And Roberto Dran kept trying to hit him. He kept trying to hit him. In the seventh round, he yelled these two words out in uh, Spanish, and this is what it was. I quit! I mean, he, he walked away from $12 million. He could have killed the guy, and he walked away. Unthinkable. Millions of people watching. Why? He quit too early. Later on, he tried to recant. First, he said he was frustrated. If you watch the video, he's like, well, I was just frustrated. I couldn't hit that guy. He was getting on my nerves. I'm used to people dropping like a fly at the first, you know, first round. He said, the guy I couldn't get, him it was the seventh, seventh round. And the guy's smiling and juking and laughing. And come on, come on. You do not know, miss him over here, you know, all that. And, he, and then when he got in the locker room, he goes, well, no, I actually got sick to my stomach. And Sugar Ray said, I'll never forget it, old sweetness. He said, he got sick to his stomach. He said, because I made him sick to his stomach. <laughs> See, you've got to fight the good fight of faith. Amen? So what about Larry and Chrissy? Those two people in the frozen lake up there in North Dakota Have fell through. I'm going to finish this story, and I close with this. He swims over to his wife. They're afraid. They're alone. They're cold. He swims over and says, I'm sorry. Tries to hold her, kisses her, tells her he loves her. Watch this. Hypothermia sets in, the gravitational pull in the icy waters. While he's going down, literally, he reaches in his pocket, and guess what he pulls out? (laughs) True story. And he grabs that thing, and he hits the ice. Watch this hits the ice and he pulls himself up out of that hole and pivots around and he gets his wife and he pulls her out. It's a true story. You can look this up. Did Tim Leatherman know about Larry and Chrissy when he invented this thing, when he was all discouraged? No, but God did. Amen. Lord knew, folks. And I say this to you in love? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because you know what? If we lose you, who's going to tell them? Hey guys, we hope you enjoyed that message. And if you did, take a photo of you listening and tag us on your social. Thanks again for joining us. We love you. God loves you. And may God's richest blessing be yours.